0: Indiana, that may have been why we, when they came back from the mission field, we hit it off, I guess, because there's a bunch of Hoosiers, but I moved here when I was 14, but growing up in Indiana, that being said, if you didn't like the game of basketball, you're a little uh, weird, so, you know, that was just, uh... <laughs> but I was fortunate, I'm actually the youngest of seven kids, I had Four four brothers and two sisters, and so my all, brothers all played sports. So, uh, mom asked me if I wanted to, you know, because all the older kids, I guess she got tired of it, all the older kids had to attempt to learn to play an instrument, you know, or something like piano, like Mary. Or, uh, then they got to me, she, uh, just asked me if I wanted. It. I said, "Well, you know, I don't know if I." Really, and it was that was it. So I never said I always wanted to learn to play the piano, but I didn't. I'd like to play the guitar or something, but but uh, just played ball, which was on the, in the good thing. Uh, did pay for my college, so which dad was ever thankful for so. Because all of his, uh, my brother David went to school on a college on a football scholarship. My brother Dan went to a foot, football scholarship and then a basketball scholarship. And I think Tommy was a track scholarship. He ran cross country and then had some academic money, you know, and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, that, he's talking about ancient history because I. I can probably still shoot the ball, it's just that getting up and down the court that bothers me right now, you know, so I gave up slow pit softball first because when they came back from the mission field, Grace had a, uh, our church had a slow pit softball team and so we started playing softball together, but then when I moved to Florida and came back and I was in my early 30s, I played for about another five or six years and then when I got in my late 30s and I wasn't in great shape, I kept pulling muscles and and softball, so I gave that up, Now I kept trying to play basketball because the theory was, you know, if you get to sweating on the court, and, but then I kept pulling muscles because I must have been in bad shape, I guess, in my 40s, so I have, uh, quit playing basketball years ago because I got no sympathy from the wife when I would come home limping from something and couldn't walk to do my sales calls the next day. She's... Always gave me the, uh, I told you so. You're too old to be going over there with those young kids and running up and down the basketball court. So I uh, listened to her. Well, uh, Brother Carl hadn't made it in here, but I had to go home last night after Brother Carl's message and get on my Facebook page and update my info because under religious views on my Facebook page, I had... uh, Christian hyphen kingdom believer. And I went, oh man, I need to change that to kingdom seeker. <laughs> so as soon as I got home last night, I got on my Facebook page, hit update info, and went in there and edited that and changed it to kingdom seeker. I thought, woo, but that was the message last night, right? So... And that was an eye-opener. I mean, there's a lot of people, uh, even my uh, brothers and brothers that I try to talk to about the kingdom truths, which are pretty much standoffish about it, even the ones that have gone through seminary. (laughs) But uh, they obviously believe in a literal messianic kingdom. They just don't believe correctly about it, you know, because basically in the church today, the church, most churches, most seminaries have become dichotomous, if you understand what I mean by that, as far as the man, mankind. Remember we was talking about yesterday. Man was created in the express image and likeness of God. Right? So God is a tripart being. He's a trinity. Man is a trinity. He's a tripart being. And that was one of the essential things at the beginning after Alan introduced me to the kingdom truths 18, 19 years ago that I had to rectify in my mind is that man is a man is a tripart being. He's spirit, soul, and body, and all three parts must undergo salvation. But see, in the church today, in most seminaries, they lump the spirit and soul together. So at that moment in Acts 16, 31, when you, you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, your spirit was quickened or made alive, right? One well, the most teachers in the church today, you'd cross the finish line, right? You know, Paul Paul speaks in his epistles. He talks about running the race. One well, of most teachers in the church today, Once you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you cross the finish line. I'm going to heaven. Well, before you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you weren't even in the race. Right? You were just sitting up in the stands. That moment you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and your spirit was quickened or made alive, you just got to the starting line now. You've got to run your race. But you don't get that from the teaching in most churches. Why? What was the purpose that God saved you? Remember we were talking about yesterday. Every believer has a calling. Your calling and election has to do with your soul salvation. Yes, the Spirit wooed you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, you didn't seek God. He sought you. But once you did that, you just stepped to the starting line. You are not (laughs) finished. Remember the book of Ruth? Ruth worked from morning till evening, from the wheat harvest to the barley harvest. What's that representative of? Her complete lifetime. There is no retirement program for believers. Right? Yeah, I'd like that. I didn't get to hear Brother Philip in the afternoon sessions because after we ate lunch, I had to go to work yesterday, and I'll have to do the same thing today. Go out and make sales calls and try to sell stuff. Right? I'd like to get to that age of retirement someday in the physical sense, in the working world, but Christians don't have a retirement program. You never get to a point where you've arrived and you've done all you need to do. All right? So we'll jump back into the parallelism between the five books of Moses in the Old Testament that he penned and the five books of John in the New Testament that he penned. And of course, we're not going to, we barely made it through Genesis and John yesterday. So what we're going to do is give an overview of those Genesis and John again just for rehash because, you know, Brother Royce last night saying that A.E. Wilson used to say repetition is the best way to learn. Well, I was talking, and I'm sorry I forgot your name, but I was talking with this nice lady after the uh, right before lunch yesterday. I said, my mother always used to say when I was a kid, you know, repetition is the key to learning. She wasn't a teacher, but she expected all of us to make good grades and all. She corrected my grammar all the time. But, you know, she'd say repetition is the key to learning. So when I'm thinking about getting up and speaking, I'm not... Praying, you know, God, give me something to say that they've never heard before. Right? Let me blow their socks off with something they've never heard before. I'm praying, Lord, don't let me get in the way of your word. Right? Because heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will stand forever. Say... turn to second peter real quickly second peter basically said the same thing peter did second peter chapter two i'm sorry make that chapter three peter second peter chapter three verse one this is now beloved The second letter I'm writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere sincere mind by way of, what did he say? Reminder. Have these people heard this before? Yeah. But he's reminding them that you should remember The words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. And then he goes on, know this first of all, then in the last days, are we living in the last days? Mockers will come with their mocking. Anybody heard any mockers? I'm not trying to get up here and say something new that you've never heard before. You know, I just don't want to get in the way of his word. It's another thing, pastor over at the church where Dale Carter and Alan started the uh, Sunday school class that Mark Summers and myself co-teach now, always makes a comment. Well, he doesn't always make comments. comment, but he's made it through the years since I've been going there since 78 or 79 he'll He'll say the Word of God, and he got this from another old preacher, but the Word of God will always be truer than man's preaching of it, which I understand what he's saying in one instance because as long as we're in this body of flesh, our personalities will tend to get interject themselves, I guess during a message or something, but on the other hand, I'm always thinking, you know you know Paul in second Timothy told Timothy preach the word so on the other hand i'm thinking well what are you preaching if the word of god is always truer than you're preaching i couldn't so on one hand i understood what he's trying to say on the other side i'm thinking well, what are you preaching then if you're getting in the way of the word because paul told timothy in second timothy was the last book paul wrote by the way Carl was talking about that progression. You know, early in his life, he said, what I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, that I do. And remember, he was worried about being disqualified. Remember? But then in 2 Timothy, he said, as Carl pointed out last night, he'd come to that point in his life, late in his life, he was encouraging Timothy his, that he had mentored all those years and saying, preach the word. And then he told him, hey, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. He knew the time was coming. But, you know, what are you preaching if you're worried about, <laughs> you know, are you preaching the word? Because if you're preaching the word, then that, the wor- thy word is truth. So why should your preaching be less true than the word of God if you're preaching the word of God? Anyway, Genesis and John, we were talking about Genesis and John, then we'll, look, we'll touch base on Exodus and Revelation, how they correlate, Leviticus and 1 John, Numbers and 2 John, and Deuteronomy and 3 John. We'll look at the parallel. Obviously, like I said yesterday, we, we already spent a lot of time on Genesis and John, but just a, a, a quick rehash. Genesis and John, we saw uh, one person and one goal, right? One person and one goal. That person being, as we stated yesterday, anywhere we turn in the Word of God to study, ultimately you're studying about whom? Jesus the Christ, who in Hebrews 1-2 said, God appointed heir of all things. Remember, we looked at the Emmaus Road, where the two disciples, and where did Jesus Christ take them to talk about himself? To Moses and all the prophets in the Old Testament. Remember, we talked about at the point of his incarnation, when the word became flesh in John 1, had any of the New Testament books been penned at that, or any word of them been penned at that time? No. No. But all the Old Testament had been penned. So if there's anything that's in the new that wasn't first in the old, then at the time of his incarnation, the word would have been incomplete. Right? Because the living word and the written word are inseparable. They're one and the same. The word became Flesh. So in studying about a subject, you have to compare spiritual things with spiritual or scripture with scripture under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and build a complete word picture of God's plans. What is that term that you use, Dale? Everybody hear that? Remember the uh, big uh, chart of the ages that Dale... We've had that on, We I do a, drew a crude version of it on the blackboard in our Sunday school class probably 10 years ago, but Dale took it to a completely different level, and through a lot of prayer and study and all that, and so our version on the on the whiteboard now, it's not a blackboard, they got the whiteboards and you write with the dry erase markers on them. I dated myself again, I said blackboard with chalk, which nobody uses those anymore anymore but uh, yeah he took it and just through prayer and study just you know because ours is basically a very just short limited version of that but uh, he said he used it as a teaching tool but he, you know he said perfect picture patterns perfect picture patterns but that's like when we're studying you can take John, Genesis and John, and John is just an opening up and a further revelation was already in Genesis. See, but you study them together and you build a complete word picture of God's plans and purposes for the ages. So you get one person and one gold, and the one person that you're studying about is Jesus the Christ, and what is our goal? To become like him, (laughs) right? To rule and reign with him. So the whole of Scripture is about Jesus the Christ, and also the whole of Scripture moves towards a seventh day. That seventh 1,000 year period, the Messianic era, when, as previously stated, Jesus will come into his glory and receive his inheritance that God promised to him when he made him heir of all things. That's what everything points to the seventh day. All of Scripture. So then uh, Genesis, I mean, we didn't start really Exodus and Revelation. And we'll, like I say, we'll hit high, highlights. And then if we come back and we can sit down somewhere and, and uh, chew on it a little bit if we have time. Exodus and Revelation, the correlation between those two. And we said Exodus sometimes referred to the, uh, as the apocalypse of the Old Testament. So in Exodus and Revelation, you have a guy... Mentioned the, called the Assyrian, right? The Assyrian past and present. Because in Exodus, where do you find the nation of Israel? In Egypt. But what had occurred in Egypt years before that? The Assyrians had come in and conquered the Egyptians. So it was actually an Assyrian who was ruling as Pharaoh at the time. And it was actually the Assyrians who were persecuting the nation of Israel. And obviously that future man of sin, the Antichrist, is referred to in the Old Testament numerous places as the Assyrian. Okay, So even though they were in Egypt, and we always talk about the Egyptian pharaoh and the Egyptian pyramids, the Assyrians had actually conquered the Egyptians prior to that time, and it was actually an Assyrian pharaoh. Who was ruling when uh, Egypt was in? I mean, the Israelites were in bondage, and as I stated, he's the man of sin. Future in the tribulation is referred to as the Assyrian. Okay, so you see in Exodus and Revelation, you find basically after Revelation chapter six through the first part of chapter twenty, you find the nation of Israel in the same place. Right, they're under persecution from an Assyrian ruler. Of course, that future man of sin, the future Assyrian, his rule will be worldwide. Okay, but the Book of Daniel tells us where he comes from. Right, the northern part of Alexander the Great's kingdom after his death was parcelled into four. Four sections because he had four generals, right? And Daniel, the book of Daniel, tells us that future man of sin comes from the northern part of that Alexander the Great's kingdom, which would be parts of Syria and Iran. And so, in the past, I've heard a lot of prophecy preachers, and they talk about the Pope being the Antichrist, and and the Roman Catholic Church being the the one-world religion in the, in, the, in the tribulation, but that doesn't fit with what the Scripture tells us. <clears throat> so then you have the structure of Exodus and Revelation, as we just previously stated, after chapter 6 of Revelation, through the first part of chapter 20, you sign the nation of Israel under persecution, judgment. Actually, because that's what the tribulation is about, right? We stated that yesterday. All believers will be caught up, raptured out of here before the start of the tribulation. What point does the tribulation start? Signing of the peace treaty, okay? Signing of the peace treaty. But we, all, all believers will have already been raptured out of here. And then we must all stand before Jesus Christ in judgment because judgment begins at the house of God. Well, see, then after all believers are judged and the peace treaty is signed, then Israel will undergo their judgment. And what is the purpose of the tribulation? To bring them to the place of repentance. Just like in the type, Remember? They were undergoing severe persecution from the Assyrian in Egypt, which forced them to do the only thing they could do, which was call out to God to send them a deliverer. So in that future day, when they're undergoing that same type of intense persecution, worse than the first time, the scriptures tell us, They'll have no choice but to turn and cry out to God, who will then send them the deliverer who's better than Moses, the Scripture says, Jesus Christ. So see how you compare Exodus and Revelation. You find Israel at the same point. But there's a lot of information in Exodus that's not in Revelation. Then there's information given you in Revelation that you don't find in Exodus. And you oh, in the book of Daniel too, right? And really all 66 books. We compare spiritual things with spiritual scripture with scripture, and we build a overall complete word picture or perfect picture patterns, as Dale refers to it of God's plans and purposes for man and for the ages actually for his plans and purposes. <clears throat> so when Moses came the first time, when God when he came to first, presented himself the first time to the Israelites, did they accept him? No. So then he f- fled Egypt, right? same thing when Christ came the first time did his people accept him no see it was set the pattern was set in the Old Testament remember the type and the antitype antitype must follow the type in exact detail so Moses when he first presented himself to his brethren they rejected him so then he went and married a Gentile bride, see? Repetition is the key to learning. And Jesus Christ came the first time. His brethren rejected him. So then he took a Gentile bride. Right? Then when Moses came back the second time, And Aaron came with him, and they presented them signs, right? Then they accepted Moses. Same thing when Jesus comes back, that second coming, his brethren will look on the one whom they have pierced and accept him as the Messiah, and a nation will be born in an instant. That's their Passover experience. Remember the seven Jewish festivals or feasts? And that has to occur while they're still scattered out in the world. Because in the type in Exodus, where did the Passover occur? Where were they? They were still in Egypt. And Egypt in the scriptures is always a type of the world. But you take... Glean stuff from the one book, you glean stuff from the other book, and you compare scripture to scripture and you build an overall complete word picture. You come to an epinosis, as Carl pointed out last night, a mature knowledge of the word of the kingdom. So Exodus and Revelation parallel one another in many aspects. Leviticus and 1 John. Leviticus and 1 John. In Leviticus, we find a sacrificial system, offerings, and a holy walk. Remember, we're just hitting the highlights. You find a sacrificial system, offerings, and a holy walk. In Leviticus divides itself into two parts, basically. you got chapters 1 through 16 of Leviticus have to do with the way sinful man is to approach a sinless God. Leviticus 1 through 16. Then in chapters 17 through 27 has to do with the way man is then to govern himself in his life before a holy God. Same thing with 1 John. 1 John chapters 1 through verse 2 of chapter 2 parallels Leviticus in that it has to do with the way sinful man is to approach a sinless God. Is everybody familiar with First John one? Obviously, I'm sure most of us could, could uh, quote First John one nine. But First uh, John chapter one through verse two of chapter two parallels the first sixteen chapters of Leviticus. Then chapter two verse three through the end of First John chapter five. Parallels those last 11 chapters of Leviticus, and it has to do with the way man is then to govern his life before a holy God. Right in the first chapter of 1 John, we can turn to that. We can't read all Leviticus, but uh, we'll read 1 John and Second John, and Third John, because they are much... But obviously, you had the sacrificial system instituted in Leviticus, you know, the priests. <clears throat> Remember what they... They first had to stop at the brazen altar, right, and do those sacrifices for the sins... Of themselves and the sins of the people, and then what was beyond the brazen altar? You had the brazen laver, and uh, ultimately, you're wanting to get to the holy of holies, right, where the candelabra was. But to get to be able to gain entrance into the Holy, Holy of Holies and in essence walk in the light, right? Could they bypass the brazen labor and not wash their hands and feet? What would happen to the priest when he got to the Holy of Holies? He was struck down, right? So after their brazen altar experience, remember and what that typified, They had to stop at the brazen laver and wash their hands and feet before they could go on into the Holy of Holies and walk in the light. Anybody read John 15? Right? What was the count in John 15? We can turn back there. We're not in any hurry. Dale ate that big glazed ugly for breakfast, so he can make it till lunchtime. John 15. What was occurring there in John 15? Well, it's true the vine. I'm sorry. I'm looking at... Uh, that's the vine and abiding in the vine. I'm talking about at the Last Supper there. Remember when he was, Jesus got up and did what? He washed the disciples' feet. When it, what happened when he got to Peter? Peter said, no, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. So what did Jesus Christ tell Peter. If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. That doesn't mean Peter wasn't really actually saved, as the Calvinists would, (laughs) right? Because what was in view was the kingdom. So then what did Peter tell him? As the brother here said, well... Give me a whole bath then, head to the, the top of my head to the sole of my feet, Lord. And then Jesus said what? He that is already bathed doesn't need to be bathed again except for his hands and his feet. And the Greek words there for wash, luo and nipto, right? Luo was the complete bath That the priest took when he entered into the priesthood, right? Remember, Ruth was told that by Naomi when she was preparing to go to the threshing floor. What did Naomi tell Ruth? Wash yourself, anoint yourself, and put on your best garments. But when the priest had already washed himself, still through the course of the walk in this, our pilgrim walk, what's going to happen to us? Our hands and our feet are going to get dirty. Right? So the same thing in the course of the priestly duties, even though they'd already been completely washed... They got to the brazen laver; they had to stop and wash their hands and their feet. First John one nine. So, First John parallels Leviticus in the sense that we go back to First John; <clears throat> those first verses need one of those iPads Carl was talking about, and then I could just touch a thing and go from one reference to the other. <clears throat> First John 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of the life. It's articular. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship. There he introduces a term fellowship, Greek koinonia. So we're talking about fellowship in 1 John, not relationship. Okay? Many preachers and, and a lot of churches, you know today you try to bring your spirit salvation over into this and talk about somebody that's lost getting saved, destroys the whole message of the book. I, I used a physical term, an earthly term again, say so I've got five kids myself. I was the youngest of seven, and my wife bore me five beautiful children. Ourselves. So if one of those, one of my sons say, or the daughters pull a prodigal son, right? Start going off and living however they want to do or whatever. Would I have the same fellowship with them? They're not following what I've tried to teach them since then. Wouldn't have the same fellowship, well, with one of my sons if they chose to do that. But at what point in time then did they... Stop being my son. Never. And that's the same thing with First John. It's talking about fellowship, not relationship. He's talking to the saved here, to believers. Koinonia, fellowship. Fellowship. And indeed, it says in the middle of verse 3, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. Remember, where was the lighted candelabra in the temple? In the Holy of Holies, right? Are in the tabernacle. And in him there is no darkness at all. That's no in there in the Greek is an emphatic negative. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then the familiar verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you that, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. First part of First John parallels the first 16 chapters of Leviticus, which introduces the sacrificial system. Remember, Jesus is number three, which is God's number. Jesus has three offices. What, what are those? Prophet, priest, and king. And number three there. He came the first time as a prophet. He's currently acting as our high priest. And then when he comes back, he will be the great king priest after the order of Melchizedek. There's an old adage, preaching to the choir, but... Some of these conferences it's more like you're preaching to a bunch of preachers, but fine, because what we're doing here is repetition is the key to learning. And as Brother Carl said last night, "No one's better than another, and I, if I'm ever getting up here to try to show how much I know about something, then I've got the whole wrong purpose involved, And then I'm in the flesh, right? So Jesus Christ is acting as our high priest, and it's based on his own blood on the mercy seat in the heavenly tabernacle, right? And the earthly tabernacle was patterned in exact detail after the heavenly tabernacle. Remember, God gave all the plans right to him. So to walk in the light, to walk in the light, to gain entrance into the Holy of Holies, it was absolutely necessary to stop at the brazen labor and wash their hands and feet. Which in our instance, in the antitype, is First John chapter 1, verses 7 through 11. always call it keeping short accounts with God. I mean, everybody can do it your own way. I, I've always, through my pattern, I get up sort of early in the morning. So that's when I start right there. And I think Brother Dale Barcubines uh, shared with me in the past, he does it, does it the same way. But I, I wake up sort of early in the morning, one of the first things, well, the first thing I usually do is... As pray, you know, and ask, you know, forgiveness for whatever I might have messed up for yesterday, Lord. Start with a clean slate. Keep short accounts with God. Right? Because if you have sin, unconfessed sin, you cannot walk in the light. Cannot. Then we won't read the whole chapter 2 through verse 5, but that parallels, as he said, the last 11 chapters of Leviticus in that then it tells us how we're supposed to govern our lives before a holy God. Then we have <clears throat> Numbers and Second John. Numbers and second John Of course we can't go through all the stuff in numbers in second John But once again you see Israel in numbers and numbers it takes you from Sinai to Canis, barnea what did they get at Sinai the law right they were given their instructions the word That they were supposed to follow, know, and obey. Then they get to Kadesh Barnea, and Moses, as we stated yesterday, took 12 guys, right, sent them into the promised land, and they were supposed to go. They spent 40 days, which 40 is another complete number in Scripture. They spent 40 days going through all the land, and then what did they bring back besides the report? What they bring back to the nation? The fruits. So at Sinai, they'd gotten the law or the, the word. Then they got the Kadesh Barnea. The 12 men went in, went from north to south through the whole land, brought them back the fruits of the land. Right? So on the antitype in the Christians, these, these people, the nation of Israel, had been come to, they had a full knowledge of what the goal out in front of them was supposed to be. And then what did they do? They fell away. So then it was impossible for them to be Brought to a place of repentance. Not on their part. What did they try to do? They tried to go back on their own, under the arm of flesh, right? And do it. But it was impossible for God to change his mind at that point in time. See, remember, nothing done in the flesh I was talking to Brother Brian and Carl during lunchtime yesterday. Nothing done in the flesh is ever acceptable to God. <clears throat> Nothing. Remember when they came to get Jesus Christ? Who stepped up is going to be the man? Peter. What did he do? Took out his sword and his right arm of flesh. Said, "I'm let's let's go to battle." What did Jesus Christ do? Peter put your sword away? You know, I don't need your help. He could have called ten thousand angels. Then he picked up the guy's ear and stuck it back on his head. Best plastic surgeon around, too. <laughs> As I guarantee, you couldn't tell his ear had ever got lopped off. <clears throat> and in the antitype for Christians, Hebrews chapters three through six. Right? Remember yesterday at the beginning of the message, I said God used the warning passages in Hebrews to bring me to the point where I was ripe for the plucking when Alan wanted to introduce the kingdom truths to me. Because I'd never got a satisfactory answer to what <laughs> what the warning passages were about, you know, all that professor, possessor stuff and all that. Or the Armenian view. Obviously, there is a loss suffered there, right? But it's not a loss of your eternal salvation. Because that's based on whose work? Christ. Past, finished work. After the ascension, where did Christ go? He went back to the Father, and where is he right now? He is seated at the right hand of the Father because his work is finished in regards to your eternal salvation. Oh, to preach a sermon like Stephen, right? Before he was stoned to death. What happened when Stephen was preaching? Yeah. God allowed the heavens to be parted open and we see Christ standing there waiting for what? If they had repented, then the kingdom would have come. Now, God in his sovereignty knew, obviously, in his omniscience knew what their response was going to be. But oh, to preach a message like Stephen, Jesus Christ stood up. But then when they rejected the message again, he sat back down at the right hand of the Father. That's why what you see in Revelation 2 and 3, right? I've heard a lot of messages through my years going through Tennessee Temple and all that. In Revelation 2 and 3, they say, well, that shows pictures of Christ in his high priestly ministry amongst the churches. No, it doesn't, because where, where you see Christ at the beginning of chapter 2, what is he doing? He's standing in the midst of the seven churches, which is a complete number. He's standing in the midst of all the believers, and he no longer has his belt around his waist like a priest's servant. Where is his belt or sash? He's girded about the chest. That's the way a judge wore his sash. See, the priest's servant wore it around his belt because he would take his robe and tuck it in there during his servant's servanthood so he wouldn't trip and fall. But when Christ is pictured there in Revelation chapter 2, he's seen standing again. His high priestly ministry is over at that point. And he's standing as judge. Remember, his eyes were like, Fire, fire is a picture of judgment. His feet were like burnished brass, which is burnished in a fire. That whole scene, his hair was white like wool or snow. That whole picture is him standing. He stood up because his high priestly ministry is over at that point. And now judgments come. Every man will render an account for what he's done in his body, whether good or bad. <clears throat> so they fell away. then in Hebrews chapter 3 through 6, in the antitype, remember you got the, the warning from uh, Esau. What did Esau do? Sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Alan and I were joking about that. He got a bowl of soup yesterday and he was calling it lentils. but Might have been, I don't know. But, <laughs> but uh, sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. And then what, what, what happened with him when he sought, sought to get it back with tears with his father? And who's the father in that picture typify? God the father, right? In the Old Testament. He sought it with tears to get it back and couldn't. So then Second John... <clears throat> talks about second john 8 we turn to there which says second and third john are just short books of 13 and 14 verses so their parallelism with numbers and deuteronomy have more to do with the overall message and not the actual content of the book but still if we have eyes to see and ears to hear you can see the correlation between between the books second john 8 actually we can just read through second john right and third john the elder to the chosen lady and her children whom i love in truth and not only i but also all who know the truth so who's he talking to believers okay for the sake of the truth which abides in us and we will with uh, and will be with us forever excuse me grace mercy and peace will be with us from God the father and from Jesus Christ the son of the father in truth and love i was very glad to find some and that some, as i tell us you know but i was i was very glad to find Your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. So is this the first time they've heard this again? Verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a what? Full... Reward. Watch yourselves so that you do not lose what we've accomplished, and you may receive a full reward, which would be that, as Carl pointed out, that entrance, abundant entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Full reward. Watch yourselves so you don't lose your inheritance. If you want the paraphrased version. Verse 9: Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. And that's where we were supposed to go back to John 15 and talk about abiding. if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be made full the children of your chosen sister greet you. 2 John. Another place it says it would have been better for them if they had not come to an epinosis of the kingdom truths than to have come to an epinosis of the kingdom truths and then Turn away. Serious business, right? Better to have not ever attained a full knowledge of the kingdom truths than to have come to a mature knowledge and then turn away. Fall back. Now, most churches today, is this message even preached? Kingdom truths? Has anybody ever really even taught the purpose of their initial salvation? In the Antichrist, most Christians today in churches are back at Egypt or wandering around in the wilderness. They don't know what the goal out ahead is. Nobody's ever told them. Remember? Remember? They thought when they got saved, they thought when they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, they crossed the finish line. They got fire insurance, right? I'm going to heaven, don't have to go to hell. I'm finished. There's even a very well-known mission board here in the States that some of their staff members got together and did this whole program. They go around to churches, and they call it Good Soil Evangelism. They do training with staffs of churches about, but they take the parable of the soils, which has to do with what? The word of the kingdom and fruit bearing, and they make it an evangelism tool. Can an unsaved person understand the word of the kingdom? Can an unsaved person bear fruit? See, the parable of soils has nothing to do with about an unsaved person getting saved. He tells us right there in his first explanation to the disciples. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom... And then you have the different responses, <clears throat> and we've seen it in the, the Sunday school class for the 20, twenty years. We'll have people that I'll stumble in there; they don't stop. But you know, they come back there. I wonder what's going on in the Brilliant Bible seekers class. And we've had some people. Uh, we had a couple that moved from a retired couple that moved from I think North Carolina came a couple of years ago, and Mark happened to be speaking that. But they didn't make it halfway through Mark's Sunday school lesson. They're like, Wait a minute. We've never heard this before. Are you saying blah da 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 da? And Mark said, I I'm not saying it. And they could they were choking on it. So he bit his tongue and sat there through the rest of the thing and then they never came back. That would be the first soil, right? Anyone who hears the word of the kingdom, what happens? Satan comes and just snatches it away. And then we've had some come and stay in there four or five months. Then they'll hear something one time, and they just can't. And I was telling, uh, I think it was Philip or or Brian 1. Had another couple. Came. You know, we, were, we do a lot of prophecy things because, like I said, not two-thirds of this book is prophetic, but all this book is prophetic because from Genesis, it points to the seventh day, that goal out ahead. So they're eating up the prophecy because, you know, what churches really talk about? Who preaches about prophecy much anymore either, right? About end-time stuff. Like I said yesterday, we don't want God to interrupt our agenda. Don't rapture me now, Lord. I got too much stuff going on. Right? I got to get this house built. <clears throat> but they came and they were eating all. But then we got to some, I think we'd finished up what we're, we, might have come right at the end of our Revelation series when we're going through Revelation then we jumped back and we started in Genesis. So Mark was talking about Genesis, those early verses like we were in yesterday. And we were talking about not being young earth theorists in the class like I mentioned yesterday, and that the earth could be millions, yea, billions of years old. Because after Satan fell, remember, we're not told is an indeterminate period of time that the earth lay in a state of ruin, flooded by water. Okay? Doesn't mean you buy into all the other evolutionary (laughs) stuff, okay? Because then we see in Genesis, ruin, the spirit moved, God spoke, and light came into existence. And that's how he redeems a ruined creation. And he did it over six days of time. And then Second Peter chapter 3, if we'd have kept reading, a day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. So now he's set apart just as the pattern set in Genesis over 6,000 years of time to restore two ruined creations, right? Man and the material creation. And then he'll rest on the seventh day. And Hebrews tells us, chapter 4, verse 8, there is a Sabbath rest that still awaits the people of God. <clears throat> but they came, and he said something. So instead of coming to Mark or myself after class, the husband who stood next to a guy in the choir, <laughs> after the service that morning, he turns to this other gentleman and uh says, hey, in Sunday school, and he thought for some reason Mark had said that uh, we didn't believe that there were six literal 24-hour days in Genesis, which he never said. But you know how people hear things they want to hear. Instead of going to the source and asking about it, he went to this other gentleman. He said, hey, I was in this Sunday school class, a Berean Bible Seekers class, and uh, do you believe uh, that those were six literal 24-hour days in Genesis? Oh, absolutely, he said. He goes, well, that's not what he said in Sunday school this morning. And then they get there, and Satan comes in there, and he plants that seed, and that couple never came back. Never came to Mark, never came to me, and asked for clarification. They just Satan got in there, and boom. So that would have been one of the other soils, you know, second, third soil. dare to be a Caleb, dare to be a Joshua. Because when you've been given the word of God, as they were at Sinai, right? And then you've tasted the fruits of the land, as they did at Kadesh Barnea. The scriptures only show two responses, right? No middle ground. It's either the response of Caleb and Joshua or the response of the ten evil tribes and the rest of the Israelites. You either say like Caleb, we're well able to take that land. Or you say like the ten spies, man, we can't do this. The people are too great. Remember, the children of Anak were there. Genesis chapter 6, the Nephilim, which is a whole separate study unto itself. (laughs) But who had they already defeated before? Og of Bashan. What was he? A Nephilim. But what did they forget? The battle is the lords that statement by the ten evil spies the evil evil report was true they are mightier than we yeah they were than you but the battle is the lords not yours remember anything done in the flesh cannot please God he doesn't need your help he just wants you to obey. Believe. They'd already seen it. Right? They'd already seen all the things he'd done for them. Then they got to the right up to Cadus Barnea and fell away in unbelief. And then Deuteronomy and 3 John, quickly. Basic premise you see through Deuteronomy is belief. Right? And the promised land. Land is mentioned like 200 times. (laughs) But they were promised that land, what we refer to as the promised land, their earthly inheritance. But when they got there at Cades Barnea the first time, they exercised unbelief. Right, so Deuteronomy, it talks about what they'd get if they would believe when they got back there after 38 and a half years of wandering around till everyone age 20 and over died off, except for Caleb and Joshua. Then they got back there again, and Deuteronomy is about Belief. Instead of unbelief. So, if we turn to Third John, which we can read also, because it's it's just a mere fifteen verses. <clears throat> Belief instead of unbelief in Deuteronomy and in Third John. And once again, it's a short book. So, we're talking about the overall tenet of the book and not its content, since it's it's that's a short. Verse 1, 3 John, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth. That is how you are walking in truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. It's articular. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. Remember, we're not seeking to be first, we're seeking to be last. Not seeking to be the chief, we're seeking to be the servant. Verse 10, for this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words and not satisfied with this. He himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. When we add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write to you, but I am not willing to write them to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly and will speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. So Deuteronomy, they get back to the promised land again. Of course, there's going to be a change in leadership. They're right there on the prefaces, and he's instructed them, believe. Believe that you could take the land. Instead of unbelief, they showed the first time. Same thing in Third John. They're walking in the truth, walking in the light, walking by faith. Remember, faith is just simply believing what God has to say and then acting upon it, right? So to walk by faith, you just believe what God has to say about a matter, And how do you learn what God has to say about a matter? You have to get in this book on a daily basis. Remember, Paul said, I die daily. Like earlier, I said, I try to keep short accounts with God. Each morning, start off, ask for forgiveness, jump into the book. We were talking about physical nutrition yesterday and spiritual nutrition. I said, you know, I can't eat and get physical nutrition for Dale Barcubine, not that he'd want me to. Same thing on the spiritual side. I can't eat for you and you can't eat for me. you have to personally get in that book. Because to know Jesus Christ, you have to know this book because they're one and the same. The written word and the living word are inseparable. The word became flesh, John 1. So to know Jesus Christ, you have to know this book. It's the only way. The only way. So it's amazing. I see. I, I've got invited to uh, the pastor of the church where, keep referring to that, where Alan and Dale Carter started the Sunday school class. He meets with different small groups of men, and one of them Saturdays. and He likes to meet Armando's. It's a burger place. And for some reason, a couple of months ago, one of the guys that meet there has asked me if I wanted to come. To that. So I'm sure uh, Doc was sort of stunned that first Saturday I walked in. But I've spent, still been going back. But like I said yesterday, they have a reading program at, uh, at the church over there. And they give out at the beginning of the year the chronological Bibles or the read-through a Bible in a year where you read a certain number of passages or a certain number of chapters every day to make it through the whole But still, it's amazing to me, uh, you know, I still wonder, I'm not there to judge the motives of men's hearts, you know, but Doc and his accountability thing after we eat a burger, then he'll go around the table and say, well, how are you doing on your reading? Well, I got four out of seven days this week, or I got five out of seven, or every once in a while, I was seven for seven. But what are we doing that for? Are you doing that for, so when you get to the Armando's on Saturday and Doc, you know Doc's going to ask you that question, you can say I was seven out of seven. And like I said yesterday, when I started memorizing scripture as a young teen, and uh, I memorized the whole chapter eight of Romans and could get up and spit it out to you, but I had no clue what it meant. And I'm not against Awana programs or learn, memorizing verses or uh, reading through the Bible in a year. I've done it before, multiple times. But that's not studying the Scriptures. Remember, we talked about the Bereans yesterday, and that's why they chose that name years ago when they started the Sunday school class, the Berean Bible Seekers. Those in Berea were more nobler than those in Thessalonica because they searched the Scriptures daily to see if what Paul was teaching them was so. Remember what we said yesterday, that Greek word used for search there in Acts is the same one that was used when Jesus Christ looked upon Peter after he denied him three times. Same root Greek word. He stared, gazed right on him. Has a little more to do than clicking off a few chapters a day so you can read through the Bible in a year. Or so you can tell your pastor you were seven for seven last week. Well, it's about lunch time. We've got a few minutes. Alan suggested I could ask, ask, uh, answer, like open up to question and answer. And like I say, if I can't answer you, if you have a question or if you want to wait till lunch, that's fine. But if I can't answer it, I'll I'll, I'll kick it over to Alan or James or somebody. Anybody got any any little question you want to ask? Oh, and don't do that. <laughs> any questions? Or right, you can catch us out there. You can catch any one of the guys. Like I say, we're all here together as believers. And remember those that were still drinking the milk? What do you tell them? You've been doing this long enough, you should be eating some meat, and you're still drinking milk and you ought to be teachers, and you're still being taught. That doesn't mean everybody has the gift of teaching, but if you've been sitting in a ministry for 30 years or whatever and ingesting all this, and you still couldn't simply explain to somebody the kingdom truths in a conversation, might be a problem there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for uh, allowing me to be here. And, Alan, I'll turn over unless you want me to pray and bless the food at the same time like yesterday.